0: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai,
1: there's joy in every journey. Label! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy.
0: Hi everybody, welcome back to 30 with Murdy. On this episode, a conversation with Scott Bradley, the head baseball coach at Princeton University. Bradley spent nine years in the major leagues as a catcher, coming up first with the Yankees in 1984, and later playing for the White Sox, Mariners, and Reds. As a member of the Mariners, he caught Randy Johnson's no-hitter in 1990. And you can also see his cameo in that famous Bo Jackson highlight when he throws out Harold Reynolds with a pee to home plate from the left field fence. Bradley's the one who hit the ball, and because the lefty swinging Bradley hit to the opposite field rather than pulling the ball, we got an all-time highlight. Anyway, for the last 24 years, Scott Bradley has been the head baseball coach at Princeton with over 400 wins and a program that has produced several major league players and front office executives, too. Bradley has a long background and incredible respect in the sport at both the professional and amateur levels, which is why I wanted to reach out to him for a conversation about the game, about where it was, where it is, and where it's heading. From hitting to pitching to the fundamental aspects of the game that seem to be missing so often on a nightly basis at the major league level. Here's a man who's played at that level and is now responsible for teaching it at the college level. A scout who's a mutual friend of both Scott and me had mentioned to me recently how he was disturbed by seeing the trending offensive profiles, the big league levels, the launch angle revolution, so to speak, trickling down to the amateur levels of high school and college ball. So I began my conversation with Scott by asking him if he had seen the same things taking place from his vantage point.
1: Uh, Sweeney, 100%, and even below our level, I mean, it's not even just the, uh, you know, the, the college level. It's down into the youth baseball at this point, and you know the the kids that they, they look at what the big leaguers are doing, they hear what the big league players are talking about, what they're trying to do. So of course they try to emulate it, and uh, they're they're nowhere near ready to try to. Um, do the same things that the big league players are very few people are that capable
0: so where is this coming from though if uh, is it coming from coaches is it coming from people just watching is it coming from individual coaching where where does this work all, all the above <laughs> and uh you know it comes from
1: the kids watching and listening and then you have a lot of you know baseball is different these days all the youth baseball players have private hitting instructors private pitching coaches They're going for lessons. They're going to all the academies. You know, we all learned in our generation to play baseball just by the experience, by going out and playing, and sort of figuring things out. And uh, now it's all about you know the instruction and all that. And I think you know there are some great instructors, both pitching and hitting. But yet, you know, to try to take a young kid and to even get him to think about what the launch angle is supposed to be, and to feed him all this data. To me, just doesn't work. All the young kids should be thinking about is making contact, uh, learning how to play the game, enjoying it. Um, but the idea of the round ball, round bats like we've always talked about, yeah. and I think it's mostly Sweeney. I mean, really, in the in the interpretation, you know, nobody's trying to nobody. I don't think is coaching trying to teach these young players how to get the ball airborne and hit fly balls and home runs. But, you know, the, some of the drills, I mean, I'll have some kids early early in, in their careers at Princeton when they come in, in the fall, I just like to leave them alone. I like them to sort of see what drills they do. And I have kids that will come in and put the batting tee in the cage, set the tee up, and literally try to hit the ball straight up into the top of the cage. <laughs> you know, and, and I'll go up and ask, and it's like, oh, i got to just work on really getting up and through the baseball, up and through the baseball. I'm like... You're not capable of hitting a ball out of the ballpark anyway. Why do you want to keep trying to work on hitting the ball up? And I said, you know, the last time I checked, the line drive is in the air. Yeah. Right? Nobody wants to top ground balls to the infields. Nobody's trying to do that. Even back in my day when coaches would say, hey, you really need to stay on top of the ball, we weren't trying to hit ground balls. We were trying to hit line drives, you know, and it's the same thought today, you know. Guys are trying to hit line drives, and sometimes line drives get elevated a little bit more. And with as strong as some of these big league players are, they're capable of hitting those balls out of the ballpark. But for so many of these young kids, I mean, I'll throw batting practice to a kid, and he's just trying to hit every ball up in the air. And I'm saying, jeez, I'd love to pitch against you, because I'll get you out on the first or second pitch every time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, and you hit on something, because this first really... It came to my attention probably about, I want to say maybe six or seven years ago now. There was a former big leaguer who found himself out of the game very quickly um, and realizing that, you know, what he came to realize is that hit the ball in the air was a better way to to stay in the game and make a living. And it's kind of what you're talking about. And I think it's the idea seems to have expanded a little too far. He was talking about the idea that ground balls are turned into outs pretty efficiently at the big league level, and even more so now when they're shifting everywhere. So to hit the ball in the air is a better way of survival as a hitter, but it doesn't mean that people who can hit 40 home runs should be trying to hit 40 home runs there's a you know the line drive and the gap power seems to be what is the most essential thing here yet i think we've kind of gotten away from that at almost all levels it sounds like
1: it is and i try to explain to people the way i look at power is that you have the ability to drive a runner in from first base so if you hit doubles that's power in my mind you know, if you can yeah. hit a ball up the gap, that's, that's power. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to hit the ball out of the out of the ballpark. And like I just said a couple minutes ago, the game hasn't changed. Line drives is what everybody is trying to do, right? Yeah. We don't want to top ground balls. Charlie Lau, Walt Riniak, they did not want players, even though they talked about, you know, down to the baseball, level through it, and then a high follow through. They didn't want players to chop balls into the ground. They were looking for line drives up the gaps, and then occasionally the ball would leave the ballpark.
0: Shifting has changed a lot of this philosophy, too, the idea of trying to hit the ball over infielders that are stacked against you, mostly with the left-handed hitters, but you see a lot more of the right-handed batters now, too. Uh, at the college and high school levels, what are you seeing? There's not as much data to back up the idea of shifting for as many hitters, but how much of it do you do, and what do you teach the hitters who are trying to combat it? Well,
1: I'll tell you what I'm saying. There's plenty of data uh, available. There's a company called Synergy that if you subscribe, I think over you know, about 75% of the um, Division One teams use this Synergy and basically, it gives you access to video and all breakdowns of data, uh, hit location, pitch sequences of every game played by those teams. Mm. So we can literally, my players can go sit on the computer and turn on Synergy. And if we're going to play Dartmouth, they can watch, you know, the Dartmouth hitters probably have 100 at-bats uh, going, going into our series with them. Mm, okay. So the data is there. You know, the shifting has been around. It's not like it's a new phenomena. And it's interesting, I don't know if you see it, I watch enough games. You're starting to see some guys force some ground balls to, to the opposite to the opposite opposite way to, mm-hmm. to get some base hits. You know, and the interesting thing that I always talk about in in, in in back in the in the old day, you could almost figure out how they were trying to pitch you by how they positioned you defensively. Sure. So if a team shifted you, you knew they were going to pound in because they wanted you to hit the ball into the ship. Correct. And it's exactly the opposite now because they think, well, you know, where some of these hitters are strong, we don't want to throw them inside because they're going to, they're trying to hit the ball in the seats. <laughs> so they still continue to throw breaking balls away, fastballs away, with the idea that they're going to trust that those hitters are still trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Most hitters to hit the ball out of the ballpark need, need to pull it. So guys are, You know, really fast front sides, really leaking, uh, really trying to pull pitches no matter where they are. And that's the result of why you see so many strikeouts right now.
0: Well, velocity is a big factor, too, and at the major league and professional levels, you're seeing, I mean, it feels redundant now when, you, when a guy comes into the game and you say he's a hard-throwing right-hander, he's a hard-throwing left-hander. I mean, that's, that's all there are in the game right now, for the most part. Uh, what's it look like at the, the, and these are the guys being drafted into professional ball, so what's it look like as a whole at the college and high school levels that you can see?
1: You know, Sweeney. Again, I I may have a little different perspective on it. Um, The guns that we use now are so finely tuned; they literally are reading hand speed. Mm -hmm. You know, they're reading the ball coming out of the hand. If you do the the, sort of the pitch tracks and sort of follow, and you can see the velocity of the baseball along the sixty feet six inches. I mean, it's six seven miles an hour slower by the time it gets to home plate. Okay, that's what that's what the guns used to read. So I go watch high school tournaments, and the number of kids that are 92, 93 in high school, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, I'm a mid-major. We had 14 pitchers on our staff. I think 9 or 10 of them are 90-plus. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you, I'm 61 years old now. I'll still catch my pitchers every once in a while. So I go back, and I'm catching guys that are, according to the guns, are throwing 93, 94 and I'm telling you, they're not throwing as hard. My eyes track the baseball better, and I don't think they're throwing as hard as, you know, the the, the Dave Rigettis and these guys who supposedly were throwing 91, 92 back, you know, back in, back in my day. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think velocity is everywhere. You turn on the college games this weekend, you're going to see more guys throwing 94. And you know what? They're throwing 94, 95, and a lot of them are getting hit and don't have very good ERAs.
0: Right.
1: Um, So I don't think the velocity, to me, it's the power breaking balls, the power cutters, the 90-mile-an-hour change-ups. I think that's the biggest difference. You know, the the power pitches with movement, not just that, you know, 98-mile-an-hour straight fastball that I think hitters can figure out. But, you know, you're seeing guys throwing 94, 95-mile-an-hour cutters. You're seeing guys throwing, you know, 88 to 90-mile-an-hour splits or, um, you know, like two-seam run. To me, that's the biggest difference. And as a hitter, you know, we, we saw from, you know, from Pitching Ninja, you know, you see the overlays. Yes. And, you know, you see the overlays from the backside, which even makes it look nastier. And you see a guy throw three pitches from the exact same arm slot and, Halfway to, and all in the ninety mile an hour range, and all three of them break eight to ten inches in a different direction. And and I is it that's the big thing? With the, the, the most difficult thing for the hitters right now is differentiation between trying to pick up spin. You know, I think the technology has made it so that every pitcher is really aware of the tunneling and where their pitches are coming from. Yeah, you know the arm slot, the deception. Uh, and I think that's the biggest difference as opposed to just sheer velocity.
0: Yeah, and, and that's... Uh, I was going to get to, like, the, what the velocity does is it makes a hitter have to cover a wider variety of miles per hour and break. And it's hard, you know, you, you almost have to try to sell out to one rather than trying to protect for all of them, don't you?
1: Exactly. And I think that's what you're seeing with the hitters. And when I watch when I watch the guys... They're looking at all the data. They're going up with a game plan and maybe looking where we used to cover more of the plate. We used to feel like we could react and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, get ready for the fastball, but still be able to put the breaking balls, you know, in in play. And and I think today you're seeing a lot of hitters, even with two strikes, looking for certain pitches. And if they get it, they feel like they have to hit a home run on it because they're not going to bunch two or three hits together. Yeah. So they feel like, all right, I need to look for one pitch in one spot, and if I get it, I need to do some damage on it. And I'll tell you one thing the number of called third strikes, where you can tell guys are completely fooled, guys taking fastballs right down the middle with two strikes. Yeah. Um, and it'd be interesting, I don't know the numbers, but it'd be interesting to see the number of, with all the strikeouts in baseball, now the percentage of called compared to swinging and if that has changed over the last you know 8 to 10
0: years I agree you kind of see when you see it it stands out basically it's uh it's 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 not hard to miss a guy who takes a called third strike down the middle on a fastball and wonder, wow, what happened? But this is kind of the the dissection that we're talking about here. I want to get to another area with you, Scott. Um, As you recruit high school players at the highest levels and see D1 baseball at the highest level, uh, one of the things that I'm also hearing from people who scout for the professionals is that you're seeing a lot of players that have showcase skills, whether it's pitching at a high velocity or hitting at high exit velocities or having good um, uh, good velocities on their throws from the outfield this and that but the actual game skills are harder to find uh, what you talked about earlier the idea of playing the game it seems like players at the highest levels are being geared towards specific skills as opposed to playing the games. Uh, what do you see in that regard?
1: Yeah and I'll even say it's slightly different. The kids right now are training for the data. They're they're training so that their numbers can be quantified because they feel like that's how they're going to get recruited. So these kids train the, the driveline, the, the the pitcher's ranch, uh, you know, the bat speed programs, the velocity programs. You know, these kids they're when they go to these events and showcases, the information they're sending us is what they're what their maximum pitching velocity was, what they run the sixty yard dash in. The everybody uses, you know, Soto. They're telling me that they hit ball, you know, a ball that was projected to travel four hundred and forty feet with an exit velocity of this and a and a and a uh, um, a launch angle of, of this. And they're training for the data instead of training to become a good baseball player. They're training for the data, and when they go to the showcases if I go to a showcase and there's 200 kids and they're getting 15 swings and they get to make eight throws and, you know, run a 60 yard dash, the idea of accuracy, the idea of, you know, charging the ball properly, you see infielders, you know, field the ground ball and take four steps and wind up and crow up because they know that there's a radar gun on the other end and they want to be able to tell everybody that they threw the ball 93 across the diamond. Yeah, You know, in the meantime, you know, the idea of fielding and throwing in rhythm, the idea of, you know, an outfielder coming in and charging and having a nice, quick, fluid release, um, the idea of a guy standing there and stroking some line drives back up the middle or into the right center field gap. No, they're, they're trying to get some attention by by the numbers, strictly by the data that's produced.
0: So, Scott, how do you correct this? I mean, you're a baseball guy, you're a coach, um, you're recruiting. And part of and this is again part of your job is about wins and losses too and that's where kind of diving into the minutiae of data and kind of breaking down the little the little points is, is i understand that's what that's all about and what it's driven towards but i mean you're talking about a game that you grew up playing at the highest level and you're seeing it not moving to that same level how do you how do you go about trying to correct it while you're trying to do your job and win baseball games it's
1: it's, it's a million dollar question <laughs> and, and um you know it, it scares all of us that care about baseball because you have a lot of kids uh that are stopped that aren't playing baseball at a young age and they're moving to soccer and lacrosse and other sports because their data doesn't match up you know they may not physically be there yet and you know they're not uh, hitting home runs and they're not throwing 90 miles an hour you know so it's got to go back to the youth baseball and sort of this idea that play enjoy the game become a good player the data and the numbers and all that stuff for the big league guys you know and even for the high level college programs it can be so selective but I still – maybe I'm too simplistic. Maybe it's my age. When I go watch these showcases and when I go watch players, I don't think I've used a stopwatch ever. I want to – I just want to let my eyes show me what's going on. I – you know what? Because we're like a mid-major program, mm-hmm. if I want to recruit an infielder that has fluid actions. Uh, I don't care whether he runs a 6 60 or a 6'8", 60, you know, or even – Jake Boone, Aaron's nephew, was one of my best players. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's in in the Reds organization now. uh, Or, I'm sorry, he's in the Nationals organization now. And, you know, Jake ran like a 7-1, you know, but boy, he made every play. He was a quick starter. He could steal bases. You know, you get some of these big college programs and they say, well, if you're going to be a middle infielder, you better run (laughs) 6-5 or 6-6. And to me, those... Those jobs, I mean, those coaches, their jobs are on the line every day. They have to win. They have to go to the World Series. I understand all that. Yeah. You know, but for the rest of us, you know, I want a, I want a baseball player. I want to come away. And if I can describe somebody's actions as being simple, if I can describe somebody's actions as being efficient, if I can just at the end of the day look and say, that's a baseball player, that's somebody who caught my attention.
0: You know, when I think about the analytic revolution in the majors, I, I think it boils down to a simple principle is that a lot of the data and, you know, placing guys in certain spots or taking advantage of certain skills is about taking some of the randomness out of a baseball game and trying to put smaller and smaller, you know, data points, so to speak. Into your win column, you know, taking away some of the randomness of a of a bloop single and turning into a hard hit ball, so that you you know, you're incrementally increasing your chances to win a game. Which, by the way, is what major league managers and general managers get paid to do: win games. So the randomness is something that I can understand why they they want a little bit more control over. Now, I'm going to turn this on you a little bit. There are a lot of Princeton people scattered around front offices in the big leagues and general managers and other positions. How many times do you yell at these guys and say, see what you've done to this beautiful game, this is what you've turned it into? Uh, you
1: know what, I, I think all we, we want, and and as you mentioned, uh, Mike Chernoff. With the Indians, Mike Hazen, with the Diamondbacks, and then uh, Chris Young are our GMs. Some of my former players are analytic directors uh, in in front offices. Um, I think whenever we talk to them, I just stress to them, and I always have, it's about balance. You don't want to ignore the numbers, you know. You don't want to; they're too strong. The numbers are powerful. The data is there, but it's still a game played by people. There are still little factors like. You know, the idea of shifting, to me, you have to include risk-reward into this into this as well. I can see shifting in certain situations where a hitter, you know that he doesn't care whether he walks, he doesn't care whether he strikes out. He's trying you know, Aaron Judge, two outs, nobody on base. You know, he's not trying to hit a single. Yeah. You know, he, he's trying to get a pitch and he's trying to hit a, hit a home run. But when there's a runner on second base and the game is on the line with two outs, the idea of going into some shift, Major shift and letting a guy hit a fifty-two hopper between first and second, and Sweeney, guys are starting to do it. Okay. And guys, are, I'm I'm watching swings. Guys are intentionally now, with runners and scoring position, are trying to force the ball against the shift. Right. It mm-hmm. takes practice. It takes thought. It's not something that you can just haphazardly say. All right, boy, they're shifting me. There's a runner on second. I'm going to do this. It has to take some thought and some preparation. Same way with bunting. Everybody talks about how, how oh, why doesn't he just bunt? Bunting a 98-mile-an-hour fastball is not that, not that easy. <laughs> right, right. But for some of these guys, they're starting to practice. They're starting to work on it. I've seen the stolen base start to come back a little bit this year. You know, with some of the games, with as close as they are, late in games, against some of these arms where you think, man, we in certain parts of the batting order, where you think it may be difficult to have somebody hit a home run, you're seeing some sacrifice. Tony Russo sacrificed sacrifice bunt three times in a game, uh, you know, last week. American mm-hmm. League team, yeah, you know, all in the bottom of the order, and all with certain pitching matchups. You know that, yeah, the data shows the bunt's not great, but when you have a left on left, and there's probably a seventy percent strikeout probability, that's using the data to make a decision that our best chance to score a run is to Bunt this guy. Right, so yeah. the numbers—the numbers are there to be interpreted to help you win games and to make decisions. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're just going to sit back and 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 try to you know hit hit home runs uh, and strike out all the time. The idea of put hitters need to the idea of a strikeout. Strikeouts aren't the same. If there's runners on second and third and the infield's back and you strike out, you know what? That's to me that's that shouldn't happen very often. Yeah right it's a situation you you have a job to do when you walk up to the plate if there's nobody if there's nobody on base right in a situation where hey I can hit a ball out of the ballpark and I have a pretty good idea of what this pitcher is going to throw me yeah strikeout doesn't matter then but I think that's lost there's not enough conversation about strategy about how are we going to score a run this inning you know there's sort of a blanket strategy and everybody's now that We all want to use these big fancy terms these days. It's like we're going into football to steal terms, you know, game planning. We're we're pitch tunneling. We're, you know, we we did the same things, but we didn't have the fancy names for it. Um, The idea of strategy, if I'm going into a game, I'm going to look at who's on the mound for the other team. And I'm going to figure who's on the mound for me. If it's going to be, and you can tell, hey, this is going to be a low scoring game. I may need to try to force the issue early in a game, even with some guys that may be able to hit a home run because we need to get our guy a lead. We need to take a, you know, especially with teams with bullpens. If I have my third or fourth starter out there who's been struggling lately and we're playing against a good offensive team and I know I'm going to have to score five or six runs to win a game that day, hey, I'm not going to bunt early in the game. Yeah. Right. So strategy should be game by game – you know, which I'm sure it is, and pitcher by pitcher matchups. You know, you may not, a guy may not bunt, but he may be facing a pitcher that, you know, has his number. And you know what? You're better off still with a runner on second base and one out than you are with a runner on first base with one out.
0: There are certain rules changes that are being considered and things that are being implemented in the minor leagues. And, you know, it's it feels like they're moving in a direction where these things are going to eventually find themselves at the upper levels in Major League Baseball when you're talking about whether it's moving the mound back or doing things with the bases to maybe increase stolen base or, or pickoff moves, things like that, to increase uh, action on stolen bases. Uh, as that starts to get a little more movement in the professional level, what are the discussions being had at the college level and, and or, or even at the high school level and things like that, where it, is this a direction where they're going to have to move to? You know,
1: the idea of the pitching mound, I sure hope not, because there's a lot of towns and fields across the country that are going to have to completely redo baseball fields, and I don't know if everybody would do it or not. Sure. You know, to, to change mounds and to regrade mounds and, and, and everything else. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this stick'em yeah. problem then you know, that baseball seems to be looking at because mm-hmm. it's been widespread. Uh, Sweeney, I know of some teams that literally were bringing chemists in and looking, <laughs> at the comp- looking at the composition of guys' hands and sweat and everything else to see what the right mix would be to give them the the, be- the best the best grip. Wow. Um, to me, the biggest thing, like I said, the, the 95, 96-mile-an-hour cutters and stuff like that, I think that's where the extra tack and the extra grip really really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with some of that, it'll be interesting to see what happens. What happens there? I think the players in the game is starting to make the adjustment, though, as opposed that they put some crazy rules in the minor leagues about how many times you're allowed to pick off. Yeah, and you know, after the second one, if you pick off, it's a balk, and the guy goes to yeah. second base. Hey, I, I've, I'm following right now. I count thirty to thirty-five guys. They have a chance to have between 25 and 30 stolen bases this year. So, with the emphasis on velocity, there's been less, less emphasis on how quick a guy's move is, how quick a guy is to the plate. And there are some teams that are starting and players that are starting to take advantage of that. Yeah. So, I think you're seeing teams run a little bit more. I don't know the numbers. I think there's more sacrifice bunts than I've seen in years. Okay. You know, I'm seeing teams bunt. I'm seeing guys try to hit against the shift a little bit. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing players and coaches talking about putting balls in play. I mean, I thought the the article where Don Mattingly, the interview where Don talked about the game and stuff. Yeah. If there's anybody that should be respected as a player and somebody who really knows the game. You know, you need to talk to your team. Certain guys need to know the importance of putting balls in play. I think we need to talk to all our players and make them aware of what they need to do to be successful. Everybody can't walk up to the plate and try to hit a home run every single time they walk up there. Right. Some hitters have to be slapped the ball around. Some hitters have to bunt for hits. Some guys have to be able to, you know, the versatility, the shifts have have really helped the versatility defensively because infielders have to play all
0: over the place. Right. So I think the
1: game, hopefully, and I'm seeing signs of it a little bit, I think the game will force a
0: correction. There's there's one other aspect of the game that um, has has garnered some attention in the early part of the season, and I think you have a a, a unique view on it because there were a bunch of no hitters thrown early in this season, and the last time that happened in a large degree, you were part of one. Um, in 1990, that's the uh, the, the uh, year when there were. Well, it now counts as seven, but there were a few other no hitters that are no longer in the books for various reasons. Uh, but there are seven no hitters. You were part of one of them with Randy Johnson. Now, you know, looking back, just June of 1990, Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, Dave Stewart, and Fernando Valenzuela were the ones throwing the no hitters. You know, it wasn't you know just a bunch of nobodies. Some of the guys that have, you know, Corey Kluber threw one, Madison Bumgarner had the seven inning thing. So there's still some accomplished pitchers doing this trick, but I, I hear people arguing that so many of them has cheapened the no hitter. And I guess part of it plays into the idea of, you know, what we're talking about with the offensive profile of the game today. But I don't think there's ever anything cheap about getting 27 outs without allowing a hit. And as you and I speak right now, it's been a couple of weeks since we've seen one, so maybe people are backing off of that. But I wondered if you look back on 1990 when you caught Randy Johnson's no-hitter and a bunch of no-hitters are being thrown around baseball, what what was the talk back then about the year of the no-hitter and, and how it was affecting the game? You
1: know, at that point, uh, Sweeney, I don't think there was any talk. And as you mentioned, you know, uh, Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson – you know, there are some guys throwing some no hitters that could throw a no hitter every time
0: <laughs> yeah. that they walk out. Yeah. There.
1: So I don't ever remember there being any talk. You know, I think the reason that you're seeing the no hitters now, and, and the interesting thing when you follow games, you see a lot of, you see some blowout games where as soon as a team falls behind by six or seven runs, they bring their secondary arms out of the bullpen. Yeah. You no, know, they bring, and position players, which I hate to see. Me too. Um, And then there's a lot of shutouts, you know, and one run games where the really dominant pitchers and dominant bullpens take over, you know, so it's made for a lot of sort of awkward games, you know, blowouts in one direction or or another. But I I, I think it goes back to the hitting philosophy, you know, the idea of when we used to go over scouting reports, if there was ever a hitter that we could sit back and say, man, he, he tries to hit a home run every time up, pitchers just started salivating. You know, they knew that they could eat that guy up if they made good pitches. And now with so many of the hitters going up with the idea of trying to hit a home run. And as I mentioned, so many of these hitters, their home runs, they're thinking about pulling the baseball. Anytime you pull the baseball, you have to make a decision to swing earlier. You have to, your pitch recognition has to be earlier. So you see a lot of what I call fast front sides. You see the front side really flying out because guys are, concerned about handling the velocity they're concerned about wanting to get the barrel the bat out and as soon as you do that it makes you very susceptible to all the nasty off speed and breaking balls the guys are throwing today Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so i and and you still have some really good pitchers out there too i mean it's um you know, I think one of the things that we kind of marvel at is that there are still so many really good athletes playing this game. Now, it, it you get on certain rosters, and you can see where, okay, there are people who maybe don't have all the skills, but if you go around the league, you still have some. I mean, when you look at the game today, the big league level, and you see guys like Mookie Betts and Mike Trapp playing, I mean, they compare pretty favorably to some of the guys that you grew up watching and played with and against, right?
1: A 100%. When you see... You know, Vladdy Jr. and Tatis and Trout and, you know, some of these young kids are so, so talented. And the numbers they're throwing up are just crazy. Uh, And to me, that just shows how how talented they are and that the rest of the guys are trying to play like that that don't have the ability need to adjust their games. You know, become better all-around players. You can't play like Fernando Tatis. You know, you, you can't hit like Aaron Judge unless you're, Aaron judge. Yeah. You know, so the, 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 the rest of major league baseball, they need to realize it's about knowing how to win, knowing how to play, knowing what their talents can bring to the team each, each day. But, you know, that's the, the, the one argument, you know, I, again, and it's maybe off topic a tad, but I just can't uh, fathom when you hear some of the, the, front office executives and some of the young coaches and stuff today who have the nerve to say that you know the george brett's and willie mays and henry aarons that
0: they wouldn't be able to handle today's game yeah well um, eh,
1: you know what if you gave every, every generation is different yeah the velocity and all that stuff but if you give willie mays and henry aarons video to watch every pitcher you give them the data you give them the training methods that we have now don't tell me that they wouldn't be superstars today yeah just like the superstars today could go back 30 years and they would be superstars but it's not like they'd be hitting 600 and hitting 75 home runs either
0: My thanks again to Scott Bradley, the head baseball coach of Princeton University, one of the most respected baseball men in the country. And you can follow him now on Twitter at CoachBradley9 to get some great insight and interaction about the game. He's quickly turning into one of the best follows in the sport. If you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy Archive at Odyssey and Apple Podcasts. You can hear some great conversations, like my recent chats with Chris Chambles about hitting and hitting coaches, with Neil Walker, recently retired big leaguer, and with Dave Parker about his new book and his life in baseball. Make sure to hit subscribe and review, and for Yankees and Mets talk, please head to the WFN Baseball Insiders podcast with me and Ed Coleman. Again, hit subscribe and review there and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy.